0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. We have been looking at uh, verses 5 through 12 as a summary description for the Christian way of life. Solomon's exhortation to walk by faith contains a summary description for the Christian way of life, taking Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 12 as an outline of the uh, summary description. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside distractions and to humble us under the authority of his truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your blessing. We ask for your hand of blessing upon our time of study today that you would hedge us about and protect us. Open the eyes of our understanding, Father. Feed us and teach us. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as we look at it here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We realize that the Christian way of life begins with faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And this is what we're learning in not only Proverbs chapter 3, but we're also learning in Galatians chapter 2. Both uh, the Proverbs series and the Galatians series are working hand in hand to reinforce the principle that uh, the life that we now live, we live by faith. It's no longer us, but it's Christ now who lives in us. And we can appreciate that. Here we have trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And we recognize there's two principles here related to this. That trust is a wholehearted endeavor. You cannot trust in the Lord with half your heart. You can't have a half-hearted trust of any sort that is pleasing to God. Hebrews tells us that the one who comes to God must believe that he is. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, we understand without faith it is impossible to please God. And so a half-hearted uh, faith, a half-hearted approach is, uh, is a problem. Secondly, leaning on your own understanding is, is a problem. Human understanding cannot be trusted. It cannot be leaned upon. It is, in fact, delusional, self-delusional and altogether wicked. If you're relying on yourself, then you are magnifying yourself as an idol. And uh, the Lord would have us, uh, obviously, with no part in that. Thirdly, divine acknowledgement is not limited to the really important decisions. It is in all your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We don't want to limit the scope of, of any part of our life that we don't acknowledge God. God should be a part of every component of our life. We, uh, if we have a godless segment of our life, what are we left with, all right? So that means in our marriage, in our family, in our public life, in our private life, in our work life, uh, everything that we do ought to acknowledge God. We ought to have uh, the, His, the will of God in our thinking with respect to every facet of our existence. The fourth principle. The summary of our walk is straight. If in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will make your paths straight. Pay attention too, by the way, I didn't highlight it. It will come up later. There is a poetry here that parallels ways and paths. You see that in verse 6? Ways and paths. And it's going to come back again. We're going to see that in the next paragraph as well ways and paths it's the nature of of the hebrew poetry to restate things using parallel terms or using synonyms using comparable expressions there's not a lot of difference between your ways and your paths other than um, maybe we could find a nuance Uh, but just be be aware of that and as we come back to the concept i'm going to say some more about it down the road all right he will make your paths straight it doesn't say easy it says straight it doesn't say fun it says straight. And there's a lot of things that people want uh, our life to be problem-free or wealthy or happy and so forth. And uh, God doesn't promise us that. He does promise pleasure. And we will discuss what is the nature of pleasure in verse 17. Uh, her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are peace. And so there is pleasure and there is peace Uh, But we want to be careful in that verse as well, that we're not defining things as uh, the carnal human would define pleasure. We want to define pleasure as God defines pleasure. We want to define peace as God defines peace. And uh, we'll make sure that we do that when we reach verse uh, 17. All right, so we want our paths to be straight. We want it to be upright. We want it to be um, righteous in his sight. Self-wisdom is the worst kind of wisdom from below. This was the fifth principle. Uh, Sub point E in the outline. Self-wisdom is the worst kind of wisdom from below. As it says, do not be wise in your own eyes, or stop being wise in your own eyes. This is uh, a a default uh, position of pride for fallen humanity. We've got to quit doing that. We've got to allow uh, the renewing of our mind to shape our perspective in terms of wisdom and uh, embrace His wisdom the wisdom from above, not the wisdom from below. Point F, the sixth principle in this outline. Fearing and turning means each believer ought to become an imitator of Job. We've got the greatest pattern for the Christian way of life, uh, and it comes in the book of Job. Fearing God and turning away from evil. We want to be an imitator of Job. As it says here, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 3, 7b. And we discussed that a week ago as we Took you to Job 1 and Job 2 and Job 28. Finally, then G H and I, what ties together the last details of this summary. Sub point G. Physical health is placed in proper perspective by spiritual health. Physical health is placed in proper perspective by spiritual health. There's a contrast. And if we are walking in wisdom, we will have that contrast. We'll be able to make the application, as it says here in Proverbs 3.8, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. In other words, the benefits that you have, the physiological benefits that you have when your spiritual life is on track. And the physiological damage that you do when your spiritual life is not on track all right if you are a spiritual wreck involved in in uh, earthly wisdom involved in satanic philosophies involved in uh, in the the things of darkness that that will blacken your soul there will be damage done to your physical health there will be consequences in the physical existence i believe the scripture makes that clear Likewise, if, you, if the lamp of your body, if the eye is clear, the whole body will be clear. If you are uh, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, if you are filling your soul with light, then there are physical health benefits to that. And we want to be clear on that. Proverbs 3.8 is not the only passage that speaks to this. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here this morning because we looked at these last week. But real quickly, Proverbs 4.22 my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. There is a physical health benefit to being in the word of God. Proverbs 16:24. 24. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. There's the dynamic again between the soul and the body. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And then we can accept this as a principle. We accept this as a general principle of wisdom. We're not trying to claim it as a magic spell. We're not trying to claim it as a doctrine or a promise. We certainly aren't going to, uh, if you break your arm this afternoon... Uh, I recommend you go to a doctor and have a cast put on it and receive medical treatment for your medical issue. We're not trying to claim that Proverbs gives you the sanction to just simply have some sweet words like a honeycomb and miraculously expect your broken arm to heal. All right, We don't go there with this text. We're going to have the right perspective on wisdom literature. 2 Corinthians 4.16 gives us the contrast. The inner man and uh, and the outer man. Though the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. And we can identify the fact that um, we, we need to be mindful, I think, uh, if the outer man that, that perishes is, is taking us down or tearing us down. We want to be mindful of that so that we don't allow the physical adversity to become a discouragement for us. That we don't allow the, um, the difficulties that we're dealing with to uh, to damage our spiritual capacity. So 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So we, we, we make sure that we're in the Word of God. We make sure that we're under teaching. Because right? if we're not being renewed in the spirit of our mind, then um, is your inner man really being renewed day by day? If you're not a disciple, if you're not under authority, if you're not under teaching? See, that's the that's the provision. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Uh, verse 18 says, while we look, while we look. If your eyes aren't looking to the Lord, then don't don't try to claim this as a promise. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Okay? If you want more on that, we've got notes from 2 Corinthians that are available and uh, on the website. Finally then, 3 John 2. 3 John Verse 2, there's only one chapter in Third John, if you think of it in terms of that, or you could say Third John is not chapter-fied, <laughs> it's just simply a 25-verse book. That might even be a better way to say it only has one chapter. No, it doesn't have any chapters, it's just a, It's an unchaptered 25-verse book better way to say that all right i know i'm goofy it's like there are not 150 chapters in the book of psalms there are 150 psalms don't think of those as chapters but we tend to think of them as chapters anyway uh if you think of third john as chapter one i guess feel free but verse two of third john says beloved i pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers And here's this dynamic, prosperity and health, prosperity and health. And there's the physical realm in terms of your earthly finances, in terms of your physical body and the the condition that it's in. And then there is your soul capacity, your soul capacity, just as your soul prospers. And so there's that dynamic proverbs i think puts these things into perspective and we want to be i mean what value is it if you're the healthiest guy that ever walked this earth and you got all the money under the sun but your soul is a wreck would you what would you trade for your soul as jesus taught it in the book of matthew you could gain the whole world but at the cost of your soul what have you achieved what have you gained and uh, these are the things i think that proverbs is going to put into perspective uh, for us all right now From point H, we go from health to wealth, and it's the same principle. It's the same exact principle. The earthly ought to be in a a proportion or in a contrast with the heavenly. Earthly wealth is placed in a proper perspective by spiritual wealth. Earthly wealth is placed in a proper perspective by spiritual wealth. So it's the same principle. It's the spiritual health that puts physical health in perspective. Likewise, it's the spiritual wealth that puts earthly wealth in perspective. If you don't have a frame of reference to appreciate the spiritual, then you're going to be off target on the earthly. All right? You're going to be, you're going to, any of us is going to be, uh, I say you, me, all of us, we are going to be impaired in our, uh, in our perspective if we don't have, we're not properly oriented in the spiritual realm. We're going to be plunged into all of the relativism of, of the human beings around us, <laughs> okay? And we'll start to uh, grumble related to uh, the improvements that we think we deserve. So Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, and we're going to relate it over to 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 6. But look at these verses here. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord from your wealth. And from the first of all your produce, do we honor the Lord? Why do we even have money? Say, well, we have money because we need money. All right. But why? Why do we have the money that he has provided? Why do we have the amount that he's provided? And what do we do with that money? Say, well, these are stupid questions. What, What does anybody do with money? We buy stuff, right? We eat, we live, we have fun things. Wait a minute. (laughs) you're branching far beyond the, the purpose of the question. Honor the Lord from your wealth. The first perspective for what we do with the money he provides us is we honor him. We should honor him with our health. We should honor him with our wealth. We should honor him with everything he has provided. And from the first of all your produce, All right, it's not the last, it's not the scrapings, it's not the leftovers. It's not, well, I've paid all my bills, and I've put food on the table, and I've had my vacation, and I've done all these other things, and all right, here's what's left over, and uh, now uh, the Lord gets 10% of that. (laughs) Okay, wait a minute. It says, from the first of all your produce. And the whole pattern in Leviticus, the whole pattern of the first fruits, when the very first gleanings come in, the very first product from the harvest, the principle is, is you give from the first. And you say, well, I don't know what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. That's right. You don't know what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. You don't know if if it's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, what the yield of that acre is going to be. You know, are you going to get 10 bushels per acre? 100 bushels per acre? 1,000 bushels per acre? You know, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. But whatever the, I understand, a plot of land is going to produce a quantity. And that may vary from season to season. And if you give the first and you don't know what the, the end harvest is going to be like, that's the point. Because it's coming from God and you're giving back to God. You are honoring the Lord from your wealth purpose clause in verse 10 so your barns will be filled with plenty your barns will be filled with plenty and i love an adjective like plenty because plenty is not defined on on an absolute basis there's no guarantee of a of a minimum amount or a maximum amount or a certain quantified portion but what he provides is sufficient it is plenty Your vats will overflow with new wine. So, earthly wealth is placed in proper perspective by spiritual wealth. 1 Timothy 6 in the New Testament gives us a perspective here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I think is a marvelous text to place in tandem with Proverbs. That we have the right divine viewpoint related to secular financing. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we've got verses 5 through 10, and then verses 17 through 19. You'll notice uh, in the early portion here, we've got a uh, possible conflict in any local church. Starting in verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness... He is conceited and understands nothing. So we realize within a local church there can be conflict based upon folks that have a different understanding of Scripture. And Why do they have that understanding? What's the motivation that's causing them to pervert these things? He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil... Suspicions, all right, and those symptoms, okay, those symptoms are uh, symptoms of the real issue, of the real problem. The problem is, is they are not pursuing the wisdom from above; they are pursuing the wisdom from below, the wisdom that is earthly, natural, demonic, the wisdom that promotes strife and dissension and envy, in the things that we see here in First Timothy six four. And right away, when you start to see those symptoms ex- being exhibited you realize that the motivation behind that teaching is, is not God. It's not heavenly wisdom. It's from below. You've got a false teacher on your hands, and this has to be dealt with in a local church. It goes on to say, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. I love that. Depraved and deprived. Depraved mind and deprived of the truth. And these are the leaders. These are the Bible teachers. And it's just going to roll downhill. It's going to to have an impact in the flock. That's why you've got to root it out. You've got to stop it immediately. But now notice, this is the attitude they're coming with it. They suppose that godliness is a means of gain. That godliness is a means of gain. All right, And that is the assumption they've made and that's where they've gone off the track. That uh, religion is a is a racket, right? That being uh, uh, being a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or whatever, you can you can uh, manipulate folks and and, uh, and make money off it, and uh, you can twist emotions and feelings and fears and everything else. There are entire denominations, in fact, entire branches of Christendom, that uh, that are, are highly profitable. Okay. And that's not uh, <laughs> a secret, not a news flash to anyone in this room. But I think everyone ought to know that the what the uh, the the wealthiest bank on planet Earth is the Vatican. You know, you want to know what the wealthiest? Yeah, I mean, there it is. And and you talk about a branch of Christendom that that can can bring the money in hand over fist. Well, how are they doing it? What what what's their mechanisms and their means and all the other things? All right. Well, we need to be oriented to Proverbs and 1 Timothy and all the other texts pertaining to our finances, pertaining to our funds, godliness. We are called to this walk of godliness, but it's not a uh it's not a uh earthly profitable endeavor. Okay? But some folks think that it is. Verse 6, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. When accompanied by contentment, now here's the attitude, and this is the same thing we're seeing in Proverbs. We're seeing that you have a spiritual life perspective, and the spiritual life perspective places the earthly finances into the right, uh, into the right consideration. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, and the gain is not secular. The gain is not. uh uh, an absolute dollar value the gain is eternal the gain is spiritual for we have brought nothing into the world we can take nothing out of it either we we arrive with nothing we leave with nothing we take nothing with us right and uh there it is what a principle every last one i I saw all four of my children born and every last child when they were birthed into this world they left the womb they entered planet earth they didn't have any cash in hand when they arrived okay they were they were buck naked slimy and everything else it was just purple so the air hit them right get them cleaned up and then it's not quite so ugly and uh but no cash in hand no cash in hand and when they leave that's right the soul departs the body and all that's left behind is, uh, you know, the the body laying there in the bed when it's left behind. All right. And there it is. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. See, there's the contentment. You got contentment in verse six as a noun and you have content in verse eight as an adjective describing the, the goal of these things. What it is that we are, uh, what's the secret of abundance, the secret of, of need? Paul says he learned both circumstances. The issue is contentment. We trust in the Father. The Father is taking us where we need to be. Now this is the spectrum I'm talking about, and why I want to take the time that we're clear on this, because I believe this spectrum applies in our finances and applies in our health. Both uh, issues are placed in parallel here in Proverbs chapter 3. If we have food and covering, with these we should be content. And so anything beyond that is is bonus. Anything beyond that is uh, is the abundance that we want to honor Him with because we don't need it. He he wasn't bound to give it to us. We're not entitled to it. (laughs) Okay? So why do we think we need it? Why do we think we're entitled to it? And why do we think that God would give it to us so that we could have it? Or so that we would use it? that we would honor him with it. And this is what we start to learn when we start to learn these uh, these appropriate principles. All right, food and covering. This is, uh, these are the needs of humanity. This is what Christ talks about when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. God knows we need these things. God knows that our physical body needs food. God knows that if we don't eat, this body doesn't exist. Okay? We have to sustain the body with food. Then ever since the Garden of Eden, we have covering. All right, we're not in the age of innocence. We don't walk around naked. Uh, we need food. We need covering. And you could discuss. I guess there is a legitimate debate as to whether covering is limited to, you know, the clothes on our back, or whether it would also include shelter and and uh, a place of uh, residence, as it were. Okay, But it certainly doesn't include a lot of the extravagant things and a lot of the entertainment and fun and games and wealth and whatnot that uh, so many folks view as being uh, necessary. <laughs> All right. It goes, so with these, we should be content. The fact is, I woke up this morning indoors. I had clothes to put on. I had food to eat. I am, uh, I am quite wealthy. What's that? Content. Yeah, there you go. Content. Content. All right. But those who want to get rich, notice what we have here. Those who want to get rich, do you want to get rich? And if so, why? And this is what we're talking about in terms of that spectrum. All right. And so there's a spectrum and there's one extreme of, of absolute wealth and the other extreme of deprivation where maybe we are below the threshold, we don't have food and covering, and that, even that becomes a, a challenge. And if we're down there and below that threshold, where there's legitimate deprivation and need, that's something to, to, to uh, seek before the Lord and ask Him to provide, and we have the duty one to another in the body of Christ to meet those needs. All right. But if we're in between those extremes, if we're somewhere on that spectrum, now we've got an opportunity to ask the Lord, why am I here? okay, Lord, why did you put me here? Why am I on that spectrum? Why am I here and not here, 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 okay? And I'm not going to grumble about the fact that I'm not here, 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 okay? I'm here. And why am I here? And since I'm not lower on that spectrum, what does he expect of me to do here? Am I honoring him with my wealth? Am I honoring him with where he has placed me? Same thing with the physical health. It's a spectrum, and I'm here. I'm not grumbling about the fact that I'm not way out here, but neither am I down here. I'm here. How do I honor him with my health? And so where he places us on the spectrum is to be identified and and to not confuse the circumstance with the test. I think there's issues there, too, that uh, we want to be on guard against. All right. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation because, see, now we have a desire that we're never commanded to have. And if we're, you know, God, we have desires we are commanded to have, but here's one we're not commanded to have, but we have it anyway. Why? What's the source of that? And so fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Not saying that being rich is wrong. And if he puts you there, great. But if you desired it, why did you desire it? And if you desired it prior to having it, why? Ask yourself why. What are the foolish and harmless desires? And where's the ruin and destruction? How much damage will, would you do? <laughs> you know, I talk about uh, this new Mustang and the 200 miles an hour. Uh, I, I would be dangerous if I had... I mean, I'm, I'm scary enough with a six-cylinder. All right, but give me eight cylinders. Give me 12. Give me, uh, no. All right, I know my capacity and and that. Same thing with, with money. Same thing with all these things. Say, Lord, just keep my eyes where they need to be. You know how much trouble I'd get into if, if I was in a circumstance like that. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Notice it's not money itself, it's the love of money. Money is a tool. Money is a provision. Money is, a, is an opportunity. And uh, some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you, if, you, if you track all the things that get people out of Bible class, you know money is high on that list with any number of things attached to it. So, um, yeah, it's not a goal, it's a means. It's, uh, you know, why do you have food? not to have it, to eat it, <laughs> right? It serves a purpose. And, and uh, you know, the same thing with, why do you have money? To have it or to use it? It serves a purpose. And what's the purpose? What do we do with the, with the provision he provides? Other applications there. Well, we get down to verse 17 and he tells us, instruct those who are rich in this present world, Now we have doctrine, we have teaching related to the proper use of this. It's not just simply to have it. Why do we have health? To have it? To use it. Why do we have wealth? To have it or to use it? Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Two big mistakes. And in that the prosperity test, Paul says he learned the secret of having abundance. Here's the secret. Don't don't let it puff you up. Don't be full of yourself because you've got a lot and say, wow. Or to use that as a basis for security. To start to depend on it and say, man, I'm untouchable now. Boy, I've got a, all my needs are met. I, have, I don't want it for anything. If you fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, look out. That's an idol and God will tear down that idolatry. But to fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now here's the key. Don't take this the wrong way. But if God has given you a a quantity of, of wealth, he did so for you to enjoy it. That's what it says right there. Richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And so the wealth he gave you is to be enjoyed. But now here's the key okay how do you enjoy it do you enjoy it in a carnal way that's not why he gave it to you we're this is part of the definition of what's coming up in proverbs 3 we talk about pleasure what what do we find pleasurable what is pleasure in divine viewpoint what does god find pleasurable and what does it mean to enjoy how do you enjoy well glad you asked verse 18 is going to tell us (laughs) here's how you enjoy it here is here is what will delight your soul this is what will delight your soul in the uh, consumption shall we say of your wealth it's like the consumption of food the consumption of your wealth what do you consume it on what do you spend it on what do you use it for that provides the true enjoyment, the divine viewpoint enjoyment, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and you know what is riches is God's rich supply. He richly supplies. We assume riches is uh, the accumulation of more and more and more and more, and uh, he says no, it's the expression, it's the sharing. It's the riches of doing good and, and uh, uh, of instruct them to do good and be rich in good works. The the finances that allow for these works to be achieved. To be generous and ready to share. He didn't provide it for you to hoard it away. He didn't provide it for you to be, you know, Scrooge McDuck or whatever the, the uh, Ebenezer Scrooge story... <laughs> Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Alright? There's laying up treasures in heaven and there's laying up treasures on earth. And the treasures on earth are vulnerable. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. The uncertainty of riches. If if all you're doing is accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. Wait a minute. What are we doing? What are we doing? What is the purpose of having this? It'd be like... Uh, Accumulating food and using food to make more food, and, but never eating any of the food. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And here's the thing there are some very, very wealthy people in this world, and they don't have the divine viewpoint perspective for their finances, and they are miserable. They are not using their wealth as God would design for them to use their wealth. And it's like not using food as God designs food. If you abuse food, or you abuse alcohol, or you abuse sex, or you abuse anything God designed. And he's laid out the parameters for how you can enjoy it. We should enjoy a good meal. We should enjoy wine. We should enjoy sex. We should enjoy money in the scope of how he designed it, with his viewpoint, with his perspective. And as we do so, we lay up treasure in heaven. And we lay hold of that for which is life indeed. It's a beautiful perspective. All right? We'll have more to say on that. There will be more we'll talk about because we've got segments in Proverbs coming up as it relates to um, savings, as it relates to storing up for the future. Look to the ant, O sluggard, and we'll talk about different venues there. The final principle is paternal, is parental discipline or paternal discipline, the discipline of a father. The last part of our Christian way of life summary is discipline. Paternal discipline is the birthright for a believer walking in the light. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 compared to Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. Paternal discipline is the birthright for a believer walking in the light. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his repro- his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And so we have a uh, paternal discipline. We, we identify the fact that Yahweh is our father. God is our father. The, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ is our father. We are brethren with Jesus Christ. Uh, David was bestowing this upon Solomon. Solomon bestowing this upon his children. Rehoboam and everybody else. He must have had a whole pack of them. All right, with all those women. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Be thankful for it. Every time you enter the Father's discipline... You know that He loves you. Say, thank you, Father. Thank you for loving me. (laughs) Okay? We should write a new verse for Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for His discipline hurts me so. Okay? Or what have you. See? I'm going to trademark that. We're going to... The fact that He disciplines you is proof of His love. If he does not discipline you, it's proof that he disclaims you. You're not his son. See, whom does the Lord discipline? For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. And That answers the question right there. If you were without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're not a son. You're an illegitimate. You're a bastard. Okay, We'll get to that in Hebrews here in just a moment. But no, the author Hebrew Hebrews says, well, you're not. You are a legitimate son. You are an heir. God loves you. And because he loves you, he's not content to let you continue on in your, your, your idiocy, in your rebellion, in your darkness. He expects better of you. He saved you for better than that. He didn't save you so you could keep on in that carnality. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom He delights. The fact that He crafted the human experience to mirror His own love, I think is a beautiful thing. That He crafted fathers and sons. He crafted parents and children. He crafted the role of of raising offspring in the human experience. Didn't have to. Think about, I mean, Aren't there? I mean, there's plenty of animal examples where the, the the offspring, the the young is birthed and then boot them out of the nest and have a nice life. <laughs> okay, that's not humanity. Humanity requires training and the nurture and admonition. Humanity requires a tremendous amount of the installation, uh, the installation of uh, of uh, values. Okay. It requires upbringing, it requires discipline, it requires a firm hand. It requires a whole lot of uh, corrective action because that's a that's a that's a hard you know attitude hard-hearted thick-necked rebel, and you've got to shape that all right, and the father designed it like that, he absolutely designed it like that. So that humanity is a reflection of his own love. Of his own paternal disciplinary love. And this is our birthright. Thank God for it. Hebrews 12 verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 12 verses 5 and 6. This is all a part of fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith. Not growing weary, not losing heart. He says in verse 5, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. In other words, review Proverbs. Make sure you review Proverbs. Stay oriented. My son, do not regard the lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. The Septuagint translation is even harsher than the Hebrew text. And uh, the author of Hebrews brings that into the New Testament here. Then it says in verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. And thank God for it. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there? This is the rhetorical question and you can answer it and he answers it. What son is there whom uh, his father does not discipline? Well the son that's not loved, the son that's not claimed, the son that's not acknowledged, the son that is actually denied. If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. See, that's the, that's harsh language. Used to be anyway. Used to be the language of a, the label of bastard used to be a social uh, stigma beyond anything. Nowadays it's not even... It's probably totally disappeared now. I mean, who gets married anymore anyway? Just have kids and do whatever. But um, Our culture has lost sight of legitimacy versus illegitimacy. And uh, for a child to be disclaimed, you're not my child. Whoever your father is can discipline you. Not my job. Not my job. I don't care. I don't love you. You're not my problem. And uh, thankfully, God doesn't, Approach us on that basis. (laughs) Because you are his son. You are his problem. He does love you. He does care. And he will lower the boom every single time. Because he expects better of us. We name the name of Christ. We name his name. He will defend his name. And I love this. Uh, So we are not illegitimate children. We are sons. We are legal heirs. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? In other words, learn from your human experience. Realize that's a reflection of the spiritual reality, that the pattern of parenting and child raising is a pattern that's supposed to point us to what the father does. And then thank God for what the father does. Be subject to the Father of spirits and live. If you're not subject to God, you're not really living. Not the life that you live in Christ, not the life that you live in, in the faith. And here's a verse to encourage you. Verse 10. You ever struggle with your parenting and think, yeah, I'm not sure I'm doing very well? They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. <laughs> Alright, well seemed like a good idea, right? Best best I could do, right? As unto the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't wanna discipline too harsh, I don't want to discipline too softly, I don't wanna I don't you know. Lord, give me some wisdom. What do I what do I gotta do? What does it take to to change thinking? What does it take to change behavior? And uh, and and why are they all different? Why are the why are the boys different than the girls and why are even the boys different from each other and the girls different from each other and why you know why are the girls so emotional <laughs> you know and why is it you can say something and it brings them to tears and the boys you can just beat them and beat them and beat them and <laughs> anyway any illustrations are purely fictitious and and I deny any reality to this. Here we go. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. And thankfully, obviously, parents that are serving the Lord, God has His hand in that as well. But He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. Here's the thing. When God disciplines us, it's perfect. Not too much, not too little, not too late, not too early, not too long, not too short. He knows exactly what he's doing. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. While you're going through it, it's not a picnic. But afterwards, to those who have been trained by it, you realize, man, it worked. It did what it was supposed to do. I benefited from it. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Look what it does, and thank God for it. All right. (laughs) <laughs> I love this text. I even had a chance to share this Bible passage with a uh, lieutenant when I was in the army. And um kind of blew his mind away at the time. Because I was wrong. I, I had broken a rule. And, and um, so he assigned me uh, extra duty. Assigned me an extra night on guard duty. And uh, could have assigned a lot more. But anyway, I thanked him for it, took the discipline, said thank you, sir. Came back later that night, and uh, just as a follow-up, and said I wanted to thank you because according to Hebrews chapter twelve, discipline is for my for my growth. And that's when that's the night I learned he was a believer and he knew what Hebrews twelve was. But he was kind of surprised that this young soldier was thanking him for the extra duty and and whatnot. Anyway, kind of interesting, and and. We're now Facebook friends 25 years later. <laughs> Amazing, out of, out of wherever, come across this guy again. And, and, and he didn't, rem- I, I asked him about it the other day. I said, do you remember that night you gave me extra duty? And he didn't, you know, he remembered I was kind of a jerk, but he didn't remember that, that uh, I had extra duty kind of a thing. Anyway, thank God for discipline. All right, we're moving on. Verses 13 through 18. Solomon inserted a psalm at this point in chapter 3 which recaps the verses which precede it. In other words, everything we just studied now gets put to music. Verses 13 through 18. The principles. Remember, as we started this chapter, what are the benefits of a lifetime in the Word of God? What is the the long-term benefit Length of days, years of life, and peace. All of those themes come back in this psalm. Verses 13 through 18 is a psalm. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. It's the same idiom. Length of days. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all those who hold her fast. All right. So we have happy, happy. uh, Because how blessed, in verse 13, should be rendered how happy. And then the conclusion in verse 18, how happy are all who hold her fast. So we have the happy, happy hymn right here. It opens with happy, it closes with happy. And we have a psalm being written here. Solomon authored many psalms. Two of them are in the book of Psalms. And uh, additional psalm material that gets inserted in various places, such as right here. So point 6 in your outline, Solomon inserted a psalm at this point in chapter 3 which recaps the verses which preceded. The doctrine in the psalm is largely redundant, largely restated from what we've already seen in the earlier verses, and that's all right. Re- repetition is not wrong. Right? Repetition is not wrong. Okay? I can say it again. Repetition is not wrong. It reinforces it. And when you reinforce it musically, if you reinforce it musically, you have a, a refrain, you have a, a chorus that sticks with you that, that you never forget, right? I though I've got a terrible time with Bible verses, I have a better time with uh, lyrics, song lyrics. Why is that? Well, I think God designed it that way. God designed the uh, aspect of music to reach our soul. So sub so point A. This is a happiness psalm. It is a beatitude, if you want to use the Latin term. This is a happiness psalm, like Psalm one and Psalm one nineteen and, and others. The term is Asheray, Asheray. Number eight thirty five in the Strong's Concordance. Asheray has forty one Old Testament uses. Uh, in the Greek, it's Makarios. When Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Cross off all those blessed are." Cross off blessed here, how blessed is. This is happy. This is happy. It's not Baraka blessing. It's not Eulagatos blessing. The Hebrew has two different terms for blessing. The Greek has two different terms for blessing. I think if we rightly divide the word of truth, we do much better with it. When God blesses us, That's one thing, and that's the Hebrew verb barak, or the noun baraka is blessing, or the Greek, eulageo, eulagitas, blessing. There's grace note studies if you want that on blessing. But then there is the human side of being a recipient of God's blessings, whereby we have the sole capacity to respond to God's blessings, and in our sole capacity we are happy. We are happy. And so we have the inner happiness of being properly adjusted to God's blessings. And so in the Hebrew, we have Asher or Ashere, like um, the the child that was born to, um, remember when Jacob had those wives and they were competing, they were having the baby competition, right? And, and uh, I'm going to double check myself here before I misspeak. So I can't remember which mother is the one that had Asher. But the baby was born named Asher. So if you go back to Genesis 29 and 30, you have all these babies being born to the uh, pregnancy competition here. And uh, Leah is unloved, Rachel is loved, but Leah is the one having the babies. And she has Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And she gives all of her children spiritual names because Leah is the one that is oriented to the divine viewpoint. And every time she names this child, she is giving credit to, uh, to Yahweh. And then Rachel in chapter 30 sees that she has no children. She's jealous of her sister, tell, blames Jacob for it, says, give me children or else I die. Right there in Genesis 30 and verse 1. She's mad at him. Like it's his fault or something, right? Clearly, he's fertile. Clearly, it's not his issue. As uh, as Leah has uh, had these four. So Jacob's anger burned against Rachel and said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she says, here, here's my maid Bilhah. I'm going to have children through her. And uh, so he gets her maid and he goes into her. And again, He's not the one with the fertility issue. And uh, Bilhah has a child. And so, ha, she says, God has vindicated me. Judged on my behalf. I'm finally vindicated. He has judged. And she names him Dan. As if now she has a moral victory here. And a second son, Naphtali, with many mighty wrestlings. I've wrestled with my sister. And so it's all a competition. Is that what it is? Well, in her mind, that's what it is. So Dan and F. Talley get their names. Now Leah, sadly, uh, she jumps into the program here too. I would love to see Leah hear this verse say, look, I have the sons he's given me, and it's not a competition. Rachel's having her competition. I'm not having that competition. I'm just trusting in the Lord. Sadly, though, Leah doesn't say that. She uh, likewise grabs a handmaid and says, here you go. And uh, this is fortunate, named him Gad and uh, happy am i named him asher this is the the vocabulary we're looking at now in this psalm so she thinks this is now a, a testimony to her happiness all right so think when you think happy think asher when you think asheray we have happiness all right not blessedness it's not baraka it's not the blessedness of of the eternal blessings, the blessedness of you like Atos, the blessings we have in the church age, which are the uh, spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. No, this is the happiness we have of being adjusted to God's provision, to God's blessing. Happiness. And so we have the happiness. Song. How happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding? What is it that brings about happiness for our human experience? It's the word of God. It's the Word of God that can produce happiness and does produce happiness for believers that are oriented to the Word of God. It's not our circumstances, it's not our details of life, it's not things, people, places, things, and circumstances. It's the Word of God that provides us happiness. You'll notice, uh, you should be familiar with these Psalm 1 and Psalm 119. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the in the seed of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. This is the beginning of Psalm 1. This is the beginning of the whole book of Psalms. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It's a great psalm here, Psalm 1. But happiness is not going to come if you're running with that crowd that's hostile to the Word of God. Psalm 119. Here's this young man on the death march to Babylon, I believe, it's the context for this. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. And of course, it's unfortunate that NASB puts blessed in both of those contexts. It's not blessed, it's happy. I think that's a better term that we would want to stay consistent with. Um, all the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount there, when Jesus says, happy are, happy are, happy are. Those are the Beatitudes. That's makarios, not eulagatos, like makarios, happy. Deals with our uh, emotion. There it is, Matthew 5. Happy are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How can you be happy if you're mourning? You because know, you have the spiritual viewpoint. You have the eternal perspective. All right, so we have a happiness psalm. I think, let's see. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. I'll give you something to chew on as we. Got two minutes. I'd rather leave two minutes early than start something here. So, here, puzzle over this. Where did this girl show up in verse 14? Her profit. Her gain. Yours just says it? That's unfortunate. It's a her. It's a her. There's a female pronoun in in each of these terms. The noun noun for profit has a feminine uh, suffix on the end of it. And And the noun for gain has a feminine suffix on the end of it. There's a girl in this passage. And the girl is wisdom. Her profit. Her gain. She is more precious than jewels. Do you have an it or a she? You have a she. Okay. Well, you get your she in verse 15. The the, the her should show up in verse 14. And there's a girl in this passage. And there'll be more. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happier those who hold her fast. We actually have some um, caressing language here, some hugging language here. Some uh, uh language here. <laughs> Alright. Not Song of Solomon type language, but similar. The kind of hugging that, and, and caressing that you would do with a with a she. That that a father should be warning his son about, about the the, the right kind of girls you want to be hugging and the wrong kind of girls you don't want to be hugging. And uh different things there. It gets introduced here. Okay, there'll be more in chapter eight. There'll be more coming up. In fact, throughout all of these first nine chapters, we got more of this coming up. So, anyway, chew on this between now and next week. uh, How it is that wisdom is viewed intimately? How wisdom is is to be embraced? How we cleave to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Okay, I don't want to give too much away. We'll come back next week, Lord willing, and rapture pending. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this study. I pray that we would be blessed and that we would be happy because of our blessing and orient us to understand both sides of blessing and happiness that we might uh, not be uh, misguided in uh, in all the ways this world this world can lead us astray thank you father in christ jesus name we pray amen